All right, Luca Yankopoulos, welcome to Healthcare Beans. Great to have you. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me, James. Awesome. Um, so, Luca, you are the CEO of Grapevine Technologies. Um, so, in a nutshell, I mean, I looked up your website and uh, I did also check out some other podcasts you were on. Um, this is Healthcare Supply Chain. And I wanted to sort of level set here because um, a lot of us folks in healthcare, like healthcare is huge. And a lot of us are, are really operating from different vantage points, um, especially like in the, in the administration space, we're really into the payment side, working with insurers, working with providers. And I got to tell you, like supply chain really kind of falls under the radar. Costs do not. In a broad sense, costs do not, but supply chain does. So I'm really hoping you can kind of level set, educate me, educate the audience on on your company. Um, you know, what exactly are you are you bringing to the market, um, and and where's the value here for folks? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess let's let's look at the the sort of problem that people are facing, or where supply chain fits in as important to you know patients who might be listening, which is. Any, every listener, right? And also providers. So when we talk about supply chain, we're talking about the cost of supplies. And a lot of things go into how much you're paying for the supplies that are used. And patients, right, might get billed for IV solutions or different medications or different equipment that a provider uses uh, during that patient's visit, right? So those are things that end up getting tallied on the bill that you pay that you might feel is just too high as a patient, right? And, uh, you know, it's not just the patient, of course, the, the businesses themselves, the healthcare providers, you know, they're 10, 15, 20% of their total expense as a business is going to be on drugs and, uh, you know, drugs and, and medical surgical supplies. So yep. what we try to do here at Grapevine is cut the cost of those supplies, both the ones that get relayed to patients, but also the ones mainly for providers by as much as 80%. Um, while keeping them ordering the same things that they know and need and need in the clinical setting. Okay. All right. Well, so that, so we'll certainly dig into that 80% up to 80% because that's a huge number. Yeah. Um, so it like automatically, it makes me think if you can, if you can bring anything to the market um, and comparatively drop costs to that degree, uh, there's got to be a ton of inefficiencies there. Um, so what's... What's going on? Like how how is Grapevine how is Grapevine doing this? I mean, I I believe it sounds like it's a marketplace. Is that right? I would say there's there's sort of two aspects to it, and one of them, James, is exactly a marketplace. It's uh, a digital distributor, if you will, right? Historically, and for the last two hundred years, McKesson has dominated this sort of space, and they've taken items from various manufacturers, smacked their label on about half of them stuck them in their various warehouses across the country and made it convenient for shoppers to work with a sales rep who knows what's in that warehouse and purchase those products, right? Okay. Um, having that sort of middleman, having his markup, I think is, is something that we know is generally inefficient. It generally leads to more shortages. It generally leads to, you know, marking things up and higher costs for the end user. And that's why everyone in the world loves Amazon. Um, at least from a from a like a consumer purchasing perspective, costs are lower, and you get things faster, and you got more options. Um, marketplace is a huge part of what we do. When there are opportunities to sort of cut out the middleman and work directly with uh, the manufacturer, the importer, the product who has that item, 
in the United States and ultimately as the supplier for McKesson, we do just that and we connect, you know, every healthcare business that signs up for Grapevine uh, directly to a pool of like 500 suppliers, you know, importers or manufacturers of those items. There's also a whole nother leg to our business, which we call procurement. Um, but it's the idea of don't just work directly with the, buyer, the suppliers that we recommend, but actually like build your own custom shopping center and do it for free in seconds. And how that sort of works is basically a, a person or a procurement person or an office admin or a owner of a business might sign up for Grapevine. They have the opportunity to link as many suppliers as they already work with. So the suppliers that you've got GPO contract prices on and that you trust and that you know work for your needs, you can just link all those by you know typing in your username and credentials to those accounts. And all the products you historically buy will flood into Grapevine. So on Amazon, you might go and look for a car or a house and you won't find a car or a house, right? And on a marketplace, it's generally limited to the scope of products that the marketplace finds and curates for you as the, as the consumer or the shopper. On Grapevine, we wanted to do a little bit more than just that. We give you a marketplace to find lower prices, but we also help you continuously work with all of your, all of your suppliers now in one sort of screen, one, one shopping center. That is exciting to hear. <laughs> and, and I just want, I need to say that back to you so to make sure I understand it. A, a provider, right? A provider or an administrator of a, of a clinic group or a hospital or whatever, a buyer comes to your site and they historically have dealt with like 20 different suppliers. And essentially they, they can upload credentials to your site and your site can pull historical information from all those other suppliers and put it right there in front of them. This is what you've bought. This is when you bought it. This is how much you paid. And essentially, exactly. they just keep going as if they never as if they never touched your site. They just keep on rolling. Exactly. And that's sort of the first sort of use of our platform is just keep buying what you buy. But sometimes they'll see and people form habits. Oh, Henry Shine is my Band-Aid supplier, right? Versus McKesson I use for the gauze and, and wound care stuff. Um, and they don't realize that Henry Shine has done something new and they've got now gauze and supplies at half the price. So as you continue to shop from your regular suppliers, making no changes at all, but using Grapevine, we look in the background and we say, hey, Henry Shine has that same product. I know you usually buy it from McKesson. You just added it to cart, but here's a pop-up. Here's that same exact item, same brand, 50% cheaper prices. And you see that all the time, even by, so, so we usually roll it out as sign up for Grapevine. Now you're shopping all of your usual suppliers in one place. Then it rolls into sort of a phase two, which is, hey, within your network of trusted suppliers, I don't want you to trust anyone new. I don't want you mm -hmm. to build any new vendor relations. Within your trusted network of suppliers, there's opportunities to save because your suppliers have way better prices on items you usually buy from, from the other guy. Um, and then phase three is, hey, why don't you start working with our newly introduced suppliers? There's no registration process. You don't have to deal with a credit app or any of these sorts of things. Um, you automatically get, you know, net 60, net 90 terms with every supplier on Grapevine. There's a pool of 500 other ones that often have much better prices than, you know, one of these middlemen, whether it be a trusted Henry Schein, Metline, McKesson. Okay. Um, and you're not, you don't have your own player in there, right? You're just, you're just a tech provider, marketplace provider. Sorry, I don't have the, the best words, but I'm sort of wrapping my arms around Grapevine here. So I don't mean to label your team or your group. No, that, you don't. I mean, I, you're not a supplier in any sense. No. We're totally unbiased. I don't want to have a stake in 
oh, I've got this inventory, it's expiring. You got to buy it now. And I'm pushing that for some weird agenda. We're not letting people on like Amazon or other marketplaces pay to get to the top of the charts when you search up something. Mm -hmm. It's just cost-based decision-making and trust-based decision-making. Um, but exactly as you said, we don't have a, a stake in any supplies. We don't purchase supplies. We're just the tech guys. Okay. Okay. So Amazon without Amazon basics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. I think I... <laughs> exactly. Right, I... That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. So... How long have has a grapevine been running? And you're the you're the founder. I just want to get that clear, right? You founded this. How how much time back? I founded this. I mean, the journey started when when COVID first hit, so spring of 2020. Um, <laughs> but we were trying to help out in different ways. And I honestly, I was a biomedical engineering student at the time. I had no experience in supply chain. Um, but we started using data to to try to look at look for solutions for the people, the providers, the frontline heroes that that we cared about. Um, and we were able to make a big impact, but that was technically a, a different startup. And there was a lot of philanthropy of donations that we were able to do. Um, Grapevine was formally founded in 2022 and we launched our company as in like the platform for, uh, healthcare providers to access and use just at the start of 2023. So we're actually approaching our one year anniversary. It was January 27th last year that we went live with our platform. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. That's awesome. So it was really a it was really a side project, fit for the times, philanthropic in nature. Um, you learned a lot from that and you founded a company to just sort of keep things more efficient in healthcare supply. Exactly. I like that. Great story. So coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um talk and reflections on the pandemic, I, I take kind of a different view with it. I know there's a lot of, you know, we weren't prepared for it. Um, we need to rejigger our systems to make sure that we can manage something like that. But I don't know, it's something that happens. I think the last time it happened was 1918 or something. It's like a hundred year event. So where yeah. do you, <laughs> out of curiosity, like, are you, are you thinking more as, as a business as you would have in 2019? Or are you really on a different track now post-pandemic in terms of how you would envision operating this sort of company? For, for us, I mean, I think the pandemic exposed a lot of problems that were already existing, but we were able to cope with prior or we were able to turn a blind eye to. I think a lot of people, myself okay. included, treat certain things, you know, with the, the mindset of if it isn't broke, you don't need to fix it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that, that was a fine mindset until we all sort of got exposed and we all got stretched too thin and we all got terribly scared and, and, and dealt with a lot of trauma through the, through the pandemic. So we are not focusing on sort of pandemic only problems, but, but definitely learning from that and figuring out, you know, what problems existed long before, what problems will continue to affect people and where can we, you know, continuously improve or make the biggest impact preparing for the worst, but, you know, expecting the best and delivering value during the best of times. All right. Um, so a year in, how's it going, if you don't mind me asking? I, I, as much as you care to share. But I, yeah. I mean, it's I always wonder about that. It's not it's not easy. And you're a year in. Do you have investors? Are, are things going OK? Yeah, we were we were really lucky. So about two years ago, when we like started the company a year prior to launching the, the software platform, um, that's when I graduated from UPenn. And they were very collaborative with us and gave us a quarter million dollars of non-equity funding 
to pursue this startup venture in the form of this like president's innovation prize for, you know, startups that will, will help the world be a better place. Um, so that, that was sort of the, the first, the, the first of our, our funding partners and they made a lot of things possible, introduced us to things and gave us the room to grow and learn and get this thing off the ground. Um, from there, we've been able to raise close to another $5 million over those last two years, including, you know, a good chunk in, in, in the last month. Um, but to be honest, the hardest time was from the moment the platform went live a year ago to six months after that, right? Because okay. as an entrepreneur, you think you understand people's problems. You spend a year, in my case, sometimes much more, building a solution for someone or for, for many people. And then you finally get to put that solution in front of the person you're trying to help. And it could be a little thing, it could be a big thing, but you're never gonna be able to be 100% right. So people are either, they can be disappointed, they can be frustrated, they can be, um, you know, a, a lot of things, impatient, right? With the, mm -hmm. the process of improving. And it's, it's an iterative process, I think, entrepreneurship, right? You like put your best solution and best guess out there. It's going to fall flat, at least parts of it. And if, it's, yeah. if you're not seeing that, then you're not, you're not doing it right. You've got to see where it falls flat and look for those little failures. So that way you can improve and make your thing better for the people that are using it, but also make, make a solution more valuable for a wider, broader audience. Healthcare is huge. People are very diverse. Procurement and purchasing patterns are very different from like oncology to primary care to, you know, geriatric. It's, it's, it's totally different. So we're, we're sort of taking one specialty at a time. I guess you had prototype partners in the first six months. That's really what you were doing. And that's, that's a struggle period. That makes sense. It's a struggle period. It's, it's yeah, it, it can be demoralizing. But, but finally, Focusing on a smaller group of, of, you know, specifically dermatology, oncology is what we decided to focus on and, and sort of understand the behaviors and needs of them. That happened about six months ago. And since then, things have really taken off. We've been able to basically provide a lot more value for these people. We're saving a huge oncology institute that's got like 75 locations. They're saving, I got a, a meeting with them right after this. And on like a single item that they spend, um, that they spend, $270,000 on a year, we're going to be saving them 40% over $100,000, right? So that's sort of the, the things that we're able to nail. We're able to find more specialty suppliers and focus on a group that, of, of, of suppliers that can specifically serve our customers. And we're able to um, build software that really works within the workflows of these, of these very specialized businesses. At what point down the road, because I always think in terms of healthcare reform. And so when I'm thinking of healthcare reform, um, and because that's that's a big problem. That's that's a problem for everybody. It's really it's really the uh, the cost of healthcare to the consumer. You might be reducing it for providers, which is fantastic. Um, that can certainly trickle over to payers, but consumers at the end is is certainly um, our nation's biggest problem. And so, do you have thoughts on that? These are broader thoughts. They go further beyond. But I always like to I always like to ping folks and see what they think about. Um, healthcare broadly, where it's moving, and then sort of tie that back to uh, to your company and where you're where you're at right now. And you might not be there. You might not be there, and that's totally cool. No, yeah, I've, I've definitely got I've got thoughts on it. Um, I mean, for example, I was on the road for a business trip not too long ago, and I got the flu, and I ended up going into you know an urgent care place and getting a like an IV trip just because I had a high temperature and I was I was really under the weather, and they gave me 
you know, some saline IV solution. It brought down my temperature, I guess, and maybe some other medication. But the 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 bill I got because it was out of state, my insurance didn't cover it. It was like the the, the total bill was close to two thousand dollars, right? And itemized on that bill were things like IV solutions, right? Um, that is something obviously that that Grapevine can help with uh, when it comes to sort of the patient cost. There is to an extent, right? The the healthcare provider needs to pass forward the savings on on things like IV solutions to the consumer, to the patient, um, and that's something that I hope is is going to be possible for us in the future. I mean, I know we have the information to uh, present those costs transparent transparently. I know that we could very easily um, share the costs that the acquisition costs or the costs that a provider is actually finding their supplies with either publicly online or with, um, with the patient directly. If we obviously had information on the patient right now, we don't have any sort of data or information on the patient. So it would be difficult for us to say, Hey, you had a treatment with an IV bag, you know, I don't know what your bill is, but here's what the doctor acquired that bag for. This is what they should pay you for Right. Like in an ideal world, I think we could do something like that down the road. But for now, we haven't gotten into any sort of patient data records. So the best we could reasonably do in the next you know, 12 months is publicly sharing uh, the cost of different supplies you know, for each provider onto you know, a publicly accessible database. So patients who go to see whichever doctor, if that doctor is on Grapevine, um, they'll be able to see the cost of the supplies that are used in, in their treatment, the cost of the drugs, and make sure they're getting billed a, a fair price. That's interesting. Um, so, so price transparency is certainly out there and it's big. Yeah. It's these new laws that came down from Medicare. Um, all hospitals need to submit them. And, you know, there's a few holdouts and they're not submitting, but sooner or later, I mean, that that number of holdouts is getting smaller because there's penalties behind it. They've not been enacted, but at some point they will be. Um, so it sounds like it sounds like just more data can be brought to the market um, to sort of just make patients and make people in the public more aware. Would that hurt your business model? I mean, in a sense, you want folks to come, you, you need buyers and suppliers, and, and maybe that sort of public data sharing is not in their interest per se. I'm just sort of piggybacking on your thought stream here. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, most like conventional suppliers, right, or people that hold inventory, they, they do fear transparency. And there's a ton of like blockades that, that suppliers, distributors have put up in the past, right? I, we've got customers that were forced into NDAs with some of the biggest distributors in the country where they can't even share their pricing with like a third-party platform like Grapevine. Like, why is that going on? I don't know, but that's a, that's a problem. I think that transparency can only benefit, you know, benefit the world, benefit patients. Um, but I think transparency or access to data isn't always enough. It's also making that, that data and information very easy for the patient to use um, to cut down the cost of their, their medical bills, right? So, you know, yeah, if we, if we publicly display all that information, the cost of, of supplies for each medical practice, like we can do that, but just putting it onto some random website like that nobody knows about or the patient might not know about isn't all that, that helpful. Um, so transparency paired with like convenience, I think is, is something that we really believe in and, and making specific information conveniently available to a patient, right? Like ideally available to the patient and the doctor as they're generating the bill, right? The medical bill for mm -hmm. the patient, right? And there is no, oh, let me go and correct this bill or let me go and dispute this bill with the, the doctor because they're overcharging me for the saline solution. No, like it should just be like, right. And, and, and getting it to a point of convenience where everyone's happy and everyone's being charged a fair price and no one's 
the doctors aren't getting shafted and losing money, but the, the mm -hmm. patients are, are getting to save a lot. Like that's something that, that I definitely dream of. And I, and I aspire that Grapevine can be a part of that, that solution. Awesome. Those are great thoughts. And they're, and you're at, you know, these are baby steps now in terms of getting there, but, but those are the right sort of thoughts. And I, and I'm, I'm really happy to hear entrepreneurs that are thinking forward in this way and think about that because there's so much in front of you just to get your business working, just to keep the revenue flowing, keep all your people paid. Um, and just to carve out even a little piece of your brain power, you know, for these bigger problems, these social problems, it's a, it's a great thing to hear. So thanks for that. I'm a, I'm a strong believer in, you know, doing well by doing good. And, and the investors that we're very fortunate to, to work with, you know, they, they tell us, don't worry about profits. Don't worry about revenue right now. Like, make sure you have a solution that provides real value to real people, something that they need, right? Because without it, you know, it's, it costs them an arm and a leg. And that doesn't mean, you know, I guess, I guess what that means is, is just try to be valuable, right? Just try to help people with the things that they care about and they need. And, and the points you're hitting on are huge things that people care about. And at Grapevine, you know, we pick and choose the battles to, to fight and the, the, the problems to take on and try to solve. Um, but at the core of every one of those decisions is the provider today. And hopefully tomorrow it'll be the patient as well. You know, I, I want to circle back to that because, you know, you, you talk about your investors. That's a great position to be in, in terms of pursuing value. Uh, in the value that you deliver. Um, from what I've heard across the last couple of years, I, this this sort of falls into digital health. Can can we call it that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so raising money, venture capitalist money, investors, um, for digital health is really, really hard right now from what I understand. So it's, and it's been hard for a while. Um, so it's surprising that that you got funding. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes me it makes me stop. And I'm like, wait a second. I thought I thought the the faucet was really tight on funding for digital health as you know in the last year or two. Um, so to get that sort of funding, um, you're either really lucky or folks really really believe in that small number of investments they're willing to make. They really they really singled your company out for that. So tell me, it's a ladder. <laughs> I I think I think it's a combination of both. I think that okay, obviously. I, I think it's hard to achieve anything without a little bit of luck, right? Okay. You need things to fall your way um, on any given day. You need, you know, to avoid, <laughs> you need to avoid, you know, uh, getting run over by a car, getting, I got hit in the head, actually, believe it or not, this is not like a major uh, issue, but I got hit in the head by at the top of a garbage can when I was walking down the street here in New York City, right outside of our office. So you got to avoid things like that, right? <laughs> to get to the point of, of any, I mean, surviving, let alone, you know, success or, or fundraising. Um, so definitely luck. And, and I, I think that, yeah, I think that we have hit on something really special. I think that we've been able to show that uh, to a lot of people, both customers of ours, right? Healthcare businesses that can't stop talking about us and, and have referred, literally, we've got some, some healthcare businesses, health, or medical practice, dermatology practices that have referred more than 30 different dermatology practices, right? To come to us wow. and sign up for a great buy. So there is a huge aspect of, of loyalty and proven value that we were able to get off the ground um, initially from the, the award from, from UPenn. And from there, we were able to, to, to do a lot of magic, build loyalty with customers and, and prove that that loyalty meant something important and could provide a return on investment uh, for people that, that had capital and were looking to put it somewhere. Um, what about dialysis clinics? Sorry, that just struck me. It's a random thought, but they have huge supply costs. 
if they have huge supply costs, I mean, we've got a list of all the different medical specialties that we're sort of focusing on. And, and once we feel satisfied that we're delivering substantial value to a, a specific medical specialty, then we sort of broaden it. So started in dermatology, okay. have now brought it to oncology, cardiology. Um, there are some huge costs there. And dialysis, I'm going to make sure it's on the list if it's not already on there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I say that because um, it's it's a subset of the Medicare population that's the highest spend. I mean, if you'll have like, I, I haven't checked them recently, but let's say it's it's eight to tenfold greater, something like that, for average annual spend for a dialysis patient. So these are folks, you know, kidney failure. Um, they got to go in a couple of times a week to get their to get their fluids uh, swapped out. And uh, that's not a nice way to say it, but it's pretty much that. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, any sort of cost savings there, if they reduce, if you if you can dramatically reduce the costs for dialysis um, in these clinics, then you know, in theory, they can drop the price. If they drop the price, then payers can pay them less, and that can really trickle through. Um, and it's a huge expense. So I'd love to see something like that happen. So like, if there's an avenue to save costs on something that's high impact it would be like these dialysis uh, clinics, I think. So, so great to know that's all, that'll be on your radar at some point. Yeah, that, I'll, put, I'll put it next next on our sort of list of, of targets to focus on. And, and the good news is there's also a lot of overlap between, you know, medical specialties and the supplies. They use. A lot of people are using, you know, different types of syringes, different types of IV solutions, different types of IV catheters, different types of, um, I mean, uh, you know, wound care, gauze, bandages, et cetera even over-the-counter medication or prescription medication, there's a lot of overlap, you know, across medical specialties. So it's not something like if you're listening to this and you are in, you know, dialysis or a different medical specialty, I encourage you to come on, check out Grapevine. All the products, I mean, from a procurement perspective, all of your suppliers will still be linked in, even if it's, mm -hmm. it's things that we don't currently have in our marketplace. You'll still be optimizing prices across your network of trusted suppliers. And there's still a marketplace of many of the products that you may already use, the common ones from wound care to, you know, bandages to IV related things. So healthcare payments, um, most healthcare payments are tied to fee for service. And so uh, I'm going to lay the feel and see if this makes sense to you. Uh, most of it is fee for service. So, you know, someone comes in, they need, they need a shot, they need, they need something. And all the supplies that are required to provide that specific service are billed to like a CPT code or something. And then the payer pays the provider for that. And then of course the provider incurs the cost for those supplies and, and their time. Um, now, healthcare policy really wants to drive things, certainly at a federal level, really wants to drive towards value-based care where, um, and some people don't believe in it, but we'll just, <laughs> let's see how far it goes. Value-based care is where we say, all right, we're not going to pay providers based on the number of services. So they're not incentivized to just repeat or, or, or provide unnecessary services. They're really incentivized for quality health outcomes for a patient that is assigned to their cohort for a particular period of time, like a year. Um, mm -hmm. So they'll have like, let's say, you know, 5,000 patients, you know, just keep it simple. Um, and we expect, looking historically, we expect that the uh, the majority of the cost of care or the total cost of care for those 5,000 will be, you know, X million dollars. Um, and it's their job to keep that essentially under that limit, keep that total cost of care under that limit, and they can provide whatever services they deem fit during that time period. They're not incentivized to do any service over another because their revenue starts to get fixed. So really what we're saying is top line revenue 
there's a lot of policy that's happening where top line revenue starts to get more and more fixed. So you have, in one sense, you have these like ACOs, accountable care organizations. Um, in the other sense, you have like uh, bundled payments. So these mm -hmm. fall for things like orthopedics. That's really popular. Um, so knee surgeries, all the equipment and supplies for knee surgeries, that would all get accounted for in like a bundled payment sort of system where it's like, all right, a patient came in for knee surgery. We're only going to spend like at most, you know, $15,000. And, you know, the surgeon needs to make all the decisions, including like post-acute care, what kind of, what kind of, you know, what kind of surgery I perform now, you know, what kind of instruments I use, what kind of supplies, all that needs to be mapped out. And they're sort of like the quarterback of profit for their, for their, for their practice, for all their patients. And they need to manage that. They even need to manage where they send that patient to downstream so that those like uh, the cost for the skilled nursing facility don't exceed uh, too totally. much and sort of just wipe out, go beyond that 15K because they're not going to get paid any more than that 15K. Um, so thinking about that, like there's, there's, it's happening on multiple fronts. That's bundled payments. There's accountable care. Then there's total cost of care models. There's also um, global budgets. This is a big one. Maybe you might be interested in global budgets for hospitals. This is where, you know, essentially payers are saying, we're only going to pay you as a hospital, you know, looking again across their historical data. We're only going to pay you X million dollars for for our patient population, and the hospitals need to need to manage that fund very carefully. So that's a lot. That's that I feel like that's a huge thing, and I and I wonder how does that how does that trickle through to supply chain? Like how would that like maybe it doesn't? Like I'm not I don't maybe maybe it's too much of an assumption to say that it would directly affect supply chain at least in the near term. But what do you think? No, I think it, it definitely affects supply chain. I know we work with some businesses that have a very similar model to, to sort of what you're discussing and their healthcare practices or like national sort of chain of healthcare practices. Um, and they have a set cost, you know, per patient that they're going to get paid by the insurance provider, insurance, yeah, insurance company. And um, it's their responsibility to drive down costs to make sure that they can still provide high quality patient care while making sure they don't exceed the budget that they'll get paid, you know, by the payer. Um, so how do you drive down costs? Well, a huge part of that can be the supplies that you use in a clinical setting, right? Uh, they see that as, I mean, there's obviously labor, right? Like, like the, the cost of the surgeon's salary rate or the nurse's salary or the different people in the clinical setting, right? And that's a huge huge cost that they need to make sure they're using those people's time well. That's probably the most important thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a less important thing, but still an important thing is, is the supplies that the surgeon's using. I mean, if they're, think about it, right? Like everything that goes into treating a patient for a, their chemo appointment, right? From the actual drugs to the IV bag, to the IV pole, to the gloves that need to be, you know, chemo tested and chemo rated to the IV catheter, to the IV admin set, to the gown that the patient might wear, right? Like at the end of the day, a 45 minute appointment can incur costs of $500 of supplies, wow. right? So it's important that people are taking that what could be $500 and knocking it down to 100 or 80 or 50, because we want, like, if, if we have to talk about like, well, what are we going to do to keep this patient's costs below X, right? So we make sure we get paid for it as the provider. You don't want them sacrificing, oh, let's not do 
this extra treatment. Let's not do this extra chemo session. Let's not, you know, let's skip seeing the patient today, right? When we really should. Mm-hmm. If there's other ways to cut costs and, and sort of deliver on this model, I think that's a much healthier way of doing it. And it ultimately serves the patient a lot better. And I, I think that's where Grapevine can be a part of the solution is keeping costs low on supplies per patient. And not a lot of those patient costs are, you know, pass forward even without that model, right? So it's still, it's an incentive, you know, in the old school way, in the new school way. It's something mm-hmm. that I think is is sort of valuable, especially valuable in, in the world that we're getting, getting into. Yeah, no, and I'll tell you, um, unfortunately, you're right in that it's already happening. Like those decisions, when we do a, mo- I, I work on monitoring models. So mm-hmm. some of these value-based arrangements, we look at the data, we see beforehand, what was the care delivery before you had this ceiling on your on your revenue, um, you know how many times did you see a patient? What kind of procedures did you did you essentially do? Um, and we'll see those changes afterwards. And on the surface, it does look like a denial of access or a delay of access to care. And in some cases, we have seen worse quality outcomes, readmissions to a hospital, you know, a month later. Um, so these are 30 day readmissions. These are kind of the worst things that we would, that we would see happening. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it happens. It's real. So thinking about that, uh, it's great that you have your, your mind in this direction. Um, any thoughts on quality of healthcare outcomes tied to supply decisions? I wonder about that. I mean, we do know something on, uh, like the selection, like what a surgeon selects for, for like knee replacement. Now, I don't know the, the the great detail, you know, the finer details of that, but I have seen reports where, you know, it is more beneficial. I guess that's the surgeon's job to make that decision, but, you know, they're part of a system and it's a profit system. So, well, er- earlier on this call, I mentioned, you know, uh, a single item that an oncology, you know, an oncology uh, customer of ours, you know, purchased, they spent a quarter million dollars on it a year. Um, I talked about like 40% savings and, um, being close to like a hundred thousand dollars on that on that switch, right? That's actually the same exact product from the same exact manufacturer, right? So these savings mm-hmm. exist with without a switch, without any sacrifice of quality. It's identical brand, identical everything is is the same, and it's manufactured by the same person. Just instead of buying it maybe from uh, you know a distributor who's accumulated or embodied costs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they've got you know salespeople they need to pay. They need to get it shipped from the actual importer or the manufacturer who's in the United States and will ship it to your hospital. But no, they need to get it shipped to McKesson's warehouse and then they're going to ship it to you. And then they're providing 24 hour customer support. And do you really need all those? And they need on-site training. Do you need that when you've been using the same item for four years or can you just buy the same exact item now directly from the source at a fraction of the cost? So there is, there is a place for savings without any substitute of, of quality. Okay. And, and of course there's, sometimes greater savings um, by looking at a substitute. And I think it is up to the sort of clinical provider to, to make that decision. Something that we do in the, the marketplace, because a lot of the, the switches when it comes to a new brand or a new product, right, that, you, that, that is a substitute, um, that comes from our marketplace. So our network of suppliers that we would introduce you to, that might, might be an item that you've never used before, worked with before. In those cases, all of our marketplace suppliers are um, required as part of their, you know, agreement with Grapevine to send free samples to the customers, right? Up to a certain number within reason, but 
they have to send free samples. So if you guys are considering, you know, a 40% for the same IV catheter direct from the source or 80% by switching to a new alternative brand, hmm, something might be weird about this brand. It might not be as high quality. That may be true. So try it out and see if it works for your need. You may, need, may not need the bells and whistles that came with the original product. It might have just been, you know, a toxic habit that you, you got in place. Or maybe, maybe it doesn't meet the exact need that you want. Maybe it doesn't have a specific bell that's essential for the, the quality of care that you need to provide. And the best we can do is put that item in your hands and let you make that decision as the provider or the clinician. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. No, uh, the more I talked with you, the more I understand that there, the efficiencies on the supply side are so bad with those examples that you're sharing, um, where essentially they're just shipping like the supplier and the distributor in the United States, and they're just shipping a, an additional leg of that journey that you're paying for. And that's, that needs to go away. That has that to, that needs go to go away. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. So how yeah. does, how does grapevine not to be too direct, but how does Grapevine make money here? Like, how do you, how do you guys, I didn't, I didn't catch that part. Is it like a Costco membership fee or something? Yeah. So we, similar to like a, a GPO. So there's just, I guess to be clear, there's no costs for our members or our healthcare providers. It's totally free. It's an instant sign up on our website, which is go-grapevine.com. And it's, yeah, it's just, it just sign up, link your accounts. And when you start spending with your existing suppliers, we are making no money. We don't take any piece of that. We're just doing that as a, uh, honestly, at this point, it is, it is a little bit philanthropic, but it's also to get, it's to get sure. users and to make sure that we're fine tuning our solution. And where we do make money is, is with our network of suppliers, right? When we introduce you to a new supplier. So after that phase one, link your suppliers and just order everything you already buy. Okay. You're trusted suppliers. Why don't you start switching some of these items to Henry Schein? Okay, phase three, why don't you start looking at some of the direct manufacturers or suppliers of these items that can serve your needs? Um, once we get into that phase three, that's where we really make money. There are some costs associated with suppliers joining our network. You don't get to pay more and get access to more customers as a supplier. That's, that's not how it works. And it's not like a principle that we believe in. We just take up like a one to 10%, depending on the item and the, the size of the order and the cost of the item and stuff, one to 10% of every item that you would order from our network of suppliers. You don't even see that. It comes out of the supplier's pocket, but um, that's that's where we sort of make our money is as a percentage of the sales revenue of the suppliers and Grapevine's vendor network. Got it, got it. Okay, all right. That seems to be the least painful route there yeah. in terms of extracting dollars out of the system. Okay. And, and the theory is we're only taking money, right, if we're saving you money. So like, there's never going to be a situation where we're taking money from you in this setup unless like, we take a dollar if we've saved you 50, right? That's right, the only right. world that happens here. So at that yeah. point, okay, so you're saving $49. That's that's the net. And that's what we want to deliver to healthcare providers and, and patients. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, how big is your team? Yeah, we've got uh, tw just under 20 people, but we're pretty fast growing. We're bringing on um, another four developers to work underneath me. Uh, hopefully by the end of February, we're actively hiring. And we're also trying to figure out how to grow from a business development perspective. I'm a engineer by trade, so it's a little bit outside of my scope. But right now we've got, um, yeah, I mean, like we don't have a sales and marketing effort. Everything, every customer that we've ever earned is through word of mouth marketing, people referring other people. And I kind of probably got to figure out how to deliver both better customer support on the tech side, right? But also, uh, also you know, sales, if we want to take this thing from 500 you know, medical providers or, or, or healthcare businesses to, you know, 5,000, 50,000, 100,000. 
uh, which is what we want to do. We want to deliver these savings on a broad scale. And to do that, you know, unfortunately, you need people to get get the word about what you're doing out there. So that's that's where we're looking to to grow. So hopefully next time we're talking, you know, a year from now or whatever it may be, um, we've got a team about double the size and we do have the financial space and freedom to do that right now. Thanks to our, our funding partners. Okay. Are you a developer? Uh, yes, but not any, right. like, I mean, I, I do it a lot less now than I did at the beginning, but at the beginning, yeah, I was like our first developer and now only okay. developer. <laughs> that's what you bootstrapped it, of course. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Great. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so I, I do want to mention another, sorry if I drive this too much in my direction here with healthcare reform, but I like um, it. I like it. Now. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, rural hospitals, there's specific types of, of, uh, of healthcare entities that, you know, they're struggling more than others. Um, and, and I totally see, you know, what you, I totally understand what you've done with, uh, with dermatologists and other specialists. Um, rural hospitals are closing at a very fast clip. And, and when they do, an entire community sort of just loses access, you know, ready access within 20, 30 minutes to a hospital nearby. Um, they'll need to travel hours to get care. Um, and, you know, these communities, they also lose the employment. Usually the, these hospitals are the major employer for, for these communities. So it's a big, it's a big loss. Um, and thinking about uh, having like an average daily census of like three or to five, you know, they're just not, they're just not profitable, even though there are these like government payment programs, like critical access hospital payment programs, um, and something called like a rural emergency hospital. There are these programs that, that support in terms of they pay a little bit above cost or whatever the government says is your cost. Um, so there, there are these payment programs and even though they're special and they're, and they're good, these hospitals are still closing. So in, in some sense, this, you know, what you've built could could help them um, in terms of supply chain management and lowering their costs because they they absolutely have to lower their costs. Um, so yeah, thoughts. <laughs> I don't know when you're gonna get to the put them on the list, but um, yeah, any thoughts? Yeah, no. The only hospitals, frankly, that we've worked with are small rural hospitals. They have an increased motivation to save money, um, obviously, because they're for all the reasons you just mentioned. And the thing is, right. The cost of shipping is like so great. Shipping something, and I don't think, I certainly didn't understand this before starting Grapevine. If I ship a truckload, like one of those 18-wheelers you see on the highway from time to time, a truckload of the same item, any item, from mm -hmm. New York to California, the cost of shipping that truckload is maybe like $5,000, right? So if I've got uh, a million items stuffed into that truckload, right, the cost of shipping per item is very, very small, right? Versus the cost of shipping one of those items, like, like UPS or USPS or the things that me and you might do um, across the country is gonna be relative to the actual base cost or the manufacturer's cost of the item. It could be as much, like the cost that you pay every, oh, free shipping is this whole big trend. There's no such thing as free shipping. You're actually paying for the item plus the shipping cost and they just don't separate it into two different lines, right? Of course, gas isn't free. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, one major issue that we've seen beyond just, you know, the need for cost savings and that being a motive for small rural hospitals to come to Grapevine. Um, one, one other motive that we've seen is that, you know, McKesson has got what, like 50 distribution centers across the country, right? There isn't one located, you know, for every small rural hospital and any of the big suppliers, you know, there isn't going to be one. So 
they're seeing greater delays, right? Greater yep. sort of shortages of supplies and back orders. Um, they're seeing also increased, you know, free shipping costs at the end of the day on a lot of the supplies because they still do need to ship it from the closest huge metropolitan area to that hospital. And McKesson's going to charge you a lot more to do that. So when you work with not one supplier who's got 50 warehouses, but 50 suppliers that have 50 warehouses, the odds of getting some of those supplies locally is a lot greater, right? And the, the cost of prices drops even more. So I think that point, point I'm trying to get at is that the cost of supplies is relatively a much higher expense for some of these small rural hospitals mm-hmm. for all of these reasons um, than it might be for, you know, New York Presbyterian or, or one of the big hospitals in, in, in a major metropolitan city. So, so I think there's a huge benefit, a bigger benefit for these people to start working with Grapevine than maybe, you know, someone that McKesson put their own distribution center three miles down the road just sure. to serve them, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. So that's, that's fantastic. You're, you're already, if I heard you right, you're already primarily, not primarily, but you're already deep into serving rural, small rural hospitals. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. So can I, can I introduce you to some folks? Um, they are, they're, they're a group based over in Pennsylvania. They're the Rural Health Redesign Center, and they provide technical assistance to struggling rural hospitals. Like, like, like their only job. That's what they do. Um, and, you know, they, they walk hundreds of rural hospitals across the country through their technical assistance program. They do everything from like cost modeling, um, you know, legal support, uh, strategic planning. They do the whole, they run the whole gamut. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I would love to put you in touch with these folks. Cause I think, I think you guys got to get in a room together. That's a, that's an awesome, awesome connection, awesome collaboration. And there's always things we can do better at, right? There's always different data to your point that we can look at and, and, and different solutions we can fold into what we're doing. And I would love to, you know, have a conversation, learn something in that sense, and maybe even, you know, build a, a partnership where we can be the, the technical arm. Uh, to their to their needs. Their awesome, awesome. Yeah, let's see where that goes. It's uh, Janice Walters is her name. She's uh, she's super smart. Awesome. All right. Um, for your for your platform, you know, because we pretty much need to address AI and everything now at this point because <laughs> it could be everywhere. Um, so, do you have that baked into your to your delivery to your products? Yeah, I mean, we're we're doing right when we talk about that switch, right? Whether it's a mm-hmm. switch, same brand, different sort of source, or new brand, new substitute. Right, the, the decision making um, behind finding a switch is something that happens in an instant. It happens when you add an item to cart. Right, we need to look across thousands of other, hundreds of thousands of other products from hundreds of other suppliers and make an instantaneous decision to put a pop up in your face the second you hit add to cart. But wait, here's here's an opportunity to save. Do you want to replace this in your cart? Right, and a lot of the sort of brains behind those decisions, recommending substitutes. Um, and, and finding, you know, the savings that's, that's driven by AI. There's also a lot of sort of shipping optimization that we use, uh, that we use to, and, and has a backbone of AI. Okay. Okay. Are you like training, training these learning models on your side or, or did you buy something and incorporate it? We've got, I mean, we're training them on our side and we're doing it because we've got, I mean, one customer that maybe buys $200 million of supplies, right? That customer and they, we've got all of their information from many years past, and we can see the products that they buy, the ones that they've switched to. Okay, they phased out this IV solution for that IV solution. Is it a better quality product? Is it because of cost savings? 
you know, these sorts of questions, that sort of information is something that actually we get for free. We don't need to buy it. We get it when people sort of sync their accounts to Grapevine and we're able to see that historical information and the product information. And we train it here, here on our end. Yeah. So you basically your data acquisition costs are free in that sense. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's fantastic. Do you, um, so your, your platform, everything there, the, the value, the money, it's all, it's all the dollar. This is all us based and you're, you're operating off the us dollar, right? Totally. All us based, all products that will ever exist in grapevine, at least in the, the foreseeable future are going to be in the United States, right? We're never going to tell you switch to this product. It's, in China right now, but wait six months. Um, yeah, so it's all it's all okay. US based. Well, if they keep building small islands, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I gotta I gotta get going to uh, actually meeting with one of our, our oncology customers after this. But um, this has been awesome. Thanks, awesome. James. Have a good one, right, man. Take care, man. God bless. Bye.